I am Vinky and this is the Working Athlete Podcast. Here I talk to working athletes from all walks of life and experts from various sports to provide you with inspiration, training tips, time management and lifestyle advice. If this is something that interests you, please make sure you subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss any future episodes. Today's guest, Divya Tate, is an ultra cyclist and an ultra cycling race organizer from Pune. She was the founding member of India Randonneurs that played a pivotal role in the growth of Brevet community by bringing together Brevet clubs from across the country under one umbrella. She is also the founder of Inspire India, which organizes many ultra cycling races like De- the Deccan Cliffhanger, Ultra Spice, and the Great Himalayan Ultra. In this episode, we talk about the growth of ultra cycling and ultra cycling races in India over the years. We talk about what it takes to be successful in self-supported events like PBP as well as crude ultra races like the race across America. It was fascinating to hear about the various aspects of ultra cycling from someone who has been involved in the growth of ultra cycling in India in some capacity over the years. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. This episode is brought to you by The Bike Affair. If you are in search of a one-stop destination that caters to all your cycling needs, our today's sponsor, The Bike Affair, is the perfect place to check out. I have known the founders of The Bike Affair, Krish and Gokul, personally for nearly 15 years now. In fact, my first century ride was with Krish back in 2008. They are both exceptional human beings and entrepreneurs that believe in providing exceptional service to their customers. And it shows. With over 14 years of experience, The Bike Affair has established itself as a trusted source offering honest advice and exceptional service. They are offering a special treat for the listeners of this podcast. You can enjoy a 10% discount on your first order by using the code BIKEYWINKY on their website. So if you are in Hyderabad, visit their door in Kondapur. Or if you are anywhere else in India, shop online by using the link thebikeaffair.com. I will leave the link in the show notes. Now, enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Working Athlete Podcast, uh, Divya. It is a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. I'm looking forward to this. Great. Divya, uh, I mean, uh, I've known you for years and years i've been following uh, you know the brevet community and the right. you know brevet rides and uh, indian uh, indian uh, randonneuring uh, community grow over the years um, yeah. and uh, i i know for a fact that uh, you have a uh, you know good role to play in that uh, whole uh, scene so that's why i want to kind of uh, you know uh, talk to you and get to know more about uh, you know the whole scene and share with the audience. Um, so, but before we talk, uh, you know about that, let us start from you know wh- one thing that I ask everyone is what is what was your relationship with uh, sport growing up? Um, relationship with sports, not much as a as a kid, I think though we had a, I don't know what your age is, but I, I can say for myself that growing up, I had a far uh, 
by default sportier uh, sort of an exposure as a kid to everything than i see children today in the cities and things so um, i didn't really i mean we played whatever sports came up in school right. and i i participated in absolutely everything over there and um but uh, so i but you know no major performances in anything and then i loved the outdoors that was the main mm. thing so growing up i didn't really do anything but the one thing that did happen was that i learned how to cycle at a pretty late age so i actually distinctly remember the day that i finally mastered the art at about 8 or 9 or something like that and yeah. uh, but then you know that was a long story after that i didn't continue cycling throughout my growing years yeah hmm. but how did you finally get into cycling as an adult again how did that happen and when did that happen yeah so uh, i had this childhood uh, you know memory of cycling and so my father was in the air force and in the air force stations we were naturally outdoors a lot climbing trees and picnicking and you know just generally having a really great childhood actually and then this cycling uh, i picked it up just about a year or so before my father left the air force so i enjoyed i i it was it was a very very freeing emancipating feeling to be out and just on my own in the cycle as a kid and then he left the air force and joined air india and we moved to bombay and that was like a rude shock so from that time on from 10 till i was about 25 maybe i didn't do any cycling other than a somewhere on some travel somewhere someone presented a bike to me but i did do a little bit of hiking and things and then in 1992 i moved to pune and at that time pune was a small it was a small town and it was fabulous because uh i was able to you know i stayed on the outskirts of the city and access to the countryside was really easy and that's when i sort of uh, just said hey you know what within a couple of weeks of moving to pune i bought myself a bicycle and then on nice. my own i was yeah and it and it was one of those basic uh, bicycles which was i think it had six gears with those grip shifts but it right. was like that heavy lokhand cycle uh, but it was great fun and it was it was such a relief uh, relief from all the stresses of adulthood being able to just get out on the cycle and go into the countryside around pune so that's how it sort of got revived and then once i started doing that in 92 i think i enjoyed that experience so much i it gave me back so much that then i didn't really i haven't discontinued for more than maybe a year or two here and there yeah then yeah. i was having nice but how, how what kind of riding did you end up doing uh, around that time any touring or anything like that yeah i did get into touring so i started cycling uh, i used it a lot to commute mm-hmm. uh, i also used to after i had my kids in the 90s and then i used to take them to school on the bicycle i used to i had a little bicycle seat like thing made in the front i had some very uh, you know jugadu cushion kind of a thing put on the rear carrier so i could take both of right. them on the bicycle at the same time Cute. and so yeah. I, it was just very fun stuff and it was pretty laid back uh for the first maybe 8 10 years it was more 
about just uh, being able to use it to transport myself and things it was after maybe in the 2000 onwards that i started using it to tour because then i started wanting to explore further and go further out so from pune small excursions became longer excursions and then i used it to tour i would just carry my own uh, you know stuff on my bike and just and this was before google maps and google earth and before india allowed us to have proper maps <laughs> road maps also so it was a very adventurous kind of bicycling in which i was doing tour but it was nothing like the kind of distances we do in breve so you know we right. like 50 kilometers a day so it was never about the metrics anyway it was it was purely about the joy of uh, exploring the countryside Hmm. But when, how did uh, this? Uh, you know, when did you get introduced to uh, breves and ultra riding in general? Yeah. So I actually tell people uh, because people jump into like they buy a bicycle and within a few weeks they're doing a breve. Yeah. And for yeah. so I kind of I have to tell people that like. Uh, just consider this i cycled for 18 years without ever doing an event so <laughs> so it was just i somehow feel that the connection with the activity was far more um pure is not the right word i don't know authentic in the sense that it was the activity and what the activity gave me directly without any kind of validation or anything like that i know that i became Audax India head and what I was doing was validation later on, but it's it's good for people to remember that the activity itself gives you what you need. This validation thing is extra. So it was literally eighteen years of just cycling and doing my own thing before I was introduced to the breve. So in I think two thousand nine, there used to be an online community. uh which some some forum i i forget the name now but on which there was a gentleman in bombay who who posted that he was going to conduct india's first breve uh, that was in jan 2010 and uh, at that time uh it was a 200 kilometer and i had never in all 18 years of riding never done more than like 100 in a day if at all so i was kind of curious about this thing but i was like ah 200 seems too much <laughs> and right. then uh, and then there were two things that sort of triggered my uh my act of signing up for the breve one was that one was my deep interest in actually in farming and i was really really wanting to get out into the countryside and get hands into farming i used to do a lot of voluntary farming and this and that and I've been an urban farmer from the 90s um and then going out into the countryside and the cycle you know excited me even more and I really wanted to get out of the city but uh, in 2009 I was just recovering from some shoulder injury and something else and I was starting to feel my age and thinking oh you know what I'm staying I want to do farming but by the time I get out there you might as well just bury me in the ground and so I was starting to get these sort of thoughts in my and um, so i was looking for something to motivate me to get back into a good shape and good health and feel you know feel charged uh, so that was one thing and the other thing was that when they posted this thing online this event 
uh, the, the the tagline for the event was this is going to be the one that separates the men from the bo- uh, the boys from what is it men from the women or men from the boys or something and i was like oh come on <laughs> <laughs> so that was the other one which was like oh god I, now i have to go and show them that you know <laughs> women can do it too <laughs> so these were the two things that sort of drew me to sign up and then for the first time in my life i actually had to train to go and do something i had never ever trained before this i used to hike and swim and kayak and everything but never trained and uh, so then i was like if i have to do 200 some very basic training of just increasing the distance from 100 to 200 took place in the few months before that and that's how i did the first brave nice nice so and uh, how how many breves did you end up doing did you continue doing breves or how 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 did it go yeah so that first one uh, you know i i um, signed up with some nervousness and anxiety about whether i'd be able to do even 200 kilometers and i did it on a mountain bike because that's what i used to use on my country rides and then when we did the 200k is when we found out that there's 300 and then there's 400 and then there's a 1200 in france and like what how would i have 1200 kilometers <laughs> and um, so like you know it was a little hook uh, it was like okay i did 200 the 200 is just the start it's just the start and i didn't think i could do that but now i have done it so how about just seeing if i can push the limit a little bit more and at that time in 2010 i wasn't really thinking about pbp and 1200 i didn't think it was in my capacity or any of that and i didn't see myself as being a sports person in any case i had just been having fun so but then this was kind of uh, you know psychologically it was intriguing to see whether i could take the next step and the next step and so that's how i signed up for the 300 and then later that year the 400 then we heard about the sr thing and like the qualifications and then slowly before i knew it and before i knew it it was exciting enough for me that i wanted to um start organizing it so i i not want but i got drawn into organizing it uh, in pune and then then that's how i got into it far deeper and wanting to share it with people and stuff like that great 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 so um i remember you know in um in 2011 was the first time uh, you know there was any representation from india in pbp right yes. and yes. Uh, you know uh, i think maybe 5 to 10 people i i don't remember the number but you know Yes. or you know f- far far lesser number than what we see now but still exactly. you know that was the start um how did do you remember any anything from that time what you know how was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure i remember because that that was kind of uh, going for pbp that whole thing was in many ways like a moment of epiphany uh you know given that i had been cycling for 18 years and just uh having like not just cycling of course i used to do a whole lot of other outdoor activity and trekking and camping and stuff but um i hadn't seen anything of this kind of events in india at that point 
And so when we went for PBP, we were actually, there were only three clubs that organized at that point, which was um, Pune and Bangalore, two clubs, sorry. And there were riders in Bombay and Pune. We were 15 people uh, who went and I was the only female in that. And uh, we went there. The event was mind-blowing because um, it's, it's a really old event, more than a century old, I think, at the time that we went. Now, right. I don't know. Oh, it's 120 something years or no not can't be yeah more than 110 years yeah right right so um it's a historic event and then so you see a totally different kind of a cultural angle to it because there's generations of people uh, who have been supporting this event for like four or five generations the family comes out onto the streets and supports you with food and, you know, coffee and soup right in, late into the night and they're cheering you and you feel like, wow, like we're getting cheered for doing this. Like in India, we, you know, you know what the scene is like on the roads. So you kind of feel like, oh my, this is something. And, and then there's 40 or 50 countries and people from all over the country. And it's, it's a great sense of camaraderie because everybody's an SR. So you've done some some level of qualification has happened before you come together here and people are really supportive. So the culture of this activity really impressed me. I loved it. And after coming back uh, was when I, you know, things started to grow because then I became the national representative. And um, after that, uh, it, it started to grow because then without any kind of promotion, because we never did any promotion at all uh, for it. We would just put out what we were doing and then people would say like, hey, we'd like to do it too. And so that's how the clubs grew and grew and grew uh, within a few years. But uh, yeah, it was it's an amazing event. It It is, it is. And thousands and thousands of people, like you said, from some maybe 50 countries or something like that, turn up and do the event. Uh, right. Do you remember... Uh, did anyone of the 15 finish the PVP at that time? Yeah, so in 2011, out of 15 of us, two people finished within time. Um, and one more person finished, I think, outside of time limits. Uh, okay. But that was it. And the statistics are, uh, you know, they sound pretty terrible. But uh, I looked at the statistics of, uh, of all the countries who are first timers at PBP, and it's kind of the way uh, you know. At that year, uh, I think it came to around twelve percent or something like that. Is sort of right. okay. And mm. uh, but then after that is where the trajectory of uh, Finnish percentage should have should have kind of increased, which mm. it hasn't because in. Uh, it's held every four years. So the next one was in 2015. 2015, yeah. Yes. And 2015, I didn't participate. I just went to support the Indian contingent, which was around, I think it was 60 people then. And in 2015, sure, we had a good jump of about, I think 20 or uh, 20 plus people finished PVP that year. So that also was in keeping with the trajectory. But 2019, we were a contingent of about 300 people. And wow. finished, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you know, by 2019, there were 75 odd clubs across the country uh, who were doing amazing. Revenue. Yeah, God, 
it just really excited people i think it's an easy sort of a sport to get into i mean look at me i never did any kind of sport or anything and i could sort of take to this it 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 calls on different things i'm not saying that it's like anybody is it's easy but anyone can actually target doing breves and do them uh, you don't have to have a sporting athletic background you know older people can do it younger people younger people i don't recommend it really but um so it it the base just grew like mad but in 2019 what happened is that out of 300 people who represented india there only 40 or something finished which is a real decline in the finish rate and mm. in uh, in fact uh, jogobe who's the odax club head and we had the meeting of all the heads of uh, all the countries um in 2019 we meet up and do some whatever admin stuff and so he pulled me aside and he said like are you guys really riding breves in india you know people are asking me he wouldn't say it directly he said other people are asking me if you all are really riding breves i'm like oh god no. <laughs> but I, so i tried to explain to him how of the 300 people only three or four had ever done pvp before Hmm. and the rest almost everybody had started riding breves only in the last 2 years and hmm. the lack of experience of individual experience plus the lack of uh, resources to provide you with that sort of mindset that goes into it with the training and you know nutrition and a proper kind of focus was not there a lot of uh, even this year let's see what happens this this is pvp year again and yeah. i i think uh, uh, more than 100 people are coming uh, going from bangalore itself i think wow <laughs> like crazy numbers but i'm also yeah. hopeful that uh, the finish percentage is going to increase uh, uh, this yeah. year uh, yeah. you know just looking at the number of uh, events that are kind of similar in distance and maybe some level of difficulty in terms of terrain and stuff right. uh, are you know being uh, done here as well so you know i i think that i mean i am not a brave expert but i you know as an outsider i can see that the chances of uh, you know increase in finish percentage uh, I, are good i hope so i hope that the increase percentage is better uh, there's a lot of challenges uh, to it and one of them is that um the conditions here are a little different in terms of roads and the kind of challenging terrain and also i think the biggest thing still is that most the bulk of the people are new into this so and and being able to do the breves in india is not really a great measure of being able to say whether you can do them there because here we are used to having access to our food um our comfort uh, climate climatic comfort you know being able to just stretch out on a khatia in some dhaba or do things like that and then you go over there and like you don't have food that you can eat so food is a big problem for people going from here and so i i tell people and now uh, so i've handed over odax india to raghu from baroda who's handling it now and he's also hoping that the same thing and he's been doing a lot of things about guiding people to 
pick up more challenging events before they go there because that's another problem with the baseline over here and a lot of the clubs also used to cater to this which is that people want to come in and do the brevet and have a success in a brevet whether it's challenging or not so that's right. a sort of a, it's like the next step okay fine entry level you come in and you do an easy brevet good for you but then know that there's a huge uh, gap between doing an easy brevet and doing something you know out uh, in either uk because we have london uh, edinburgh as well lel correct lel was you know so we get a feedback so i'm like that's where you get your feedback from <laughs> about how you're doing so you yeah know. you know the weather weather conditions are vastly different like you said yeah. the road conditions are vastly different the you know it's not as smooth as uh, our roads you know we think the you know because it is europe uh, you know they are smooth but they are smooth maybe in the sense that there are no potholes or stuff that we see here but the you know they are chip seal in the way that the rolling resistance is much higher there yes. right and uh, it is a lot more rolling than you know what the highways here would be you know doing highway brevets uh, are not going to help you get ready for them totally totally so that's another challenge is that we end up having to do our brevets on highways and so the highways the terrain of the highways will not give you the kind of challenge you need but the country roads in our country are almost impossible for road by i think karnataka is still a little better but right. maharashtra our country roads are another story i mean we do mtb brevets out here if we're going into the countryside otherwise we're stuck so all these things so i as a you know as a ballpark i would tell people that if you're planning to do pvp or lel in india on these brevets you should be able to finish them in 75 to 80% time comfortably then you have mm-hmm. a chance like if you if right. you stretch your time limit out here then over there there's no there's no cushion there's no uh, right yeah so since we are on the topic since and since this is pp uh, you know pvp year uh, you know are there any tips that you would like to give uh, all the you know uh, guys going there guys and girls going there to uh, participate this year uh what month is this this is july they've got one month <laughs> <laughs> to yeah and then maybe uh, maybe on not on the training part since uh, not much time but what are the other things that they need to take take care of uh, in terms of you know saving time there uh, you know resting right. or food and stuff yeah. like that yeah yeah so one thing is that for food they need to be really prepared that uh, if if they don't have a versatile palate which is able to eat bread for example and and continue riding on that then it then you need to take some things from here which are going to be able to sustain you on the bike over there because most of the food may be you know unpa- you may get rice at some these things at some of the controls uh so food is one thing they need to prepare themselves to have backup food uh with them at all times uh the second thing uh, is the weather so under no circumstances should they underestimate what the weather over there can do to everything from morale to actually physically um disabling your ability to ride on the bike so on some years it has been so cold that 
some of the indian people under prepared because we didn't have the gloves and had no concept how cold it can get in the rain were unable to hold their uh, the bikes on downhills and things like that then it becomes dangerous because your it fingers is, are yeah you will not be able to use the brakes and stuff it's really dangerous oh, yeah right so some of them actually quit because it was too cold to be able to bike handle in the in that cold uh, so you know but these are these are things that can be addressed simply by not compromising on equipment and the other not compromising on equipment should be with respect to lights so just make sure you have really powerful lights that are going to be able to take you for four days with you know don't depend on charging battery powered or uh, whatever but make sure that there's strong stable lights that will help you to be able to ride this uh, terrain um yeah and also like i said on the audax india youtube channel raghu has put up like detailed inputs for people to uh, be able to have a better success rate over there oh that's yeah. brilliant yeah that's going to help i'm sure um now let us go you know continue on the ultra cycling uh, thread of course because that is you know that is your uh, field um i i remember you uh, you know what was your first um um introduction to ram and you know what i i, I remember you crewed i think uh, to one of the participants and the, uh, you know so when was this and how was the experience what were the learnings from there yeah uh so this was um, samim rizvi from bangalore and he had in 2011 he came for pbp also and mm-hmm. he was one of the uh, two indians who finished in time and 2011 when i met him for pbp and one of the previous breves in pune uh i came to know about ram from him i heard for the first time and you know I, for me like 1200 of pbp was like jaw dropping and now this guy is telling me about this 5000 i'd never even heard of it till then and then he's telling me about this 5000 kilometer race in in uh, the us so he had already attempted it twice by 2011 and uh, not been able to do it Uh, right. in time i think in 2011 he did it just out of time and there were some penalties so it was not an official finish and um so and in the year following pbp i had got uh, you know uh, involved in setting up audax india and like getting a lot of response towards it and having gone to uh, pbp and seen uh, the huge difference the huge gap between where we were at and where uh you know these countries their cycling was and pbp is not even a ultra sport per se um but seeing that and huge gap i was very aware that in india we have a long way to go before we can do this and here is this person who's already gone twice and it's at a huge expense um and failed to be able to finish so that is a very clear indication that there's a gap then in 2012 he asked me if i would crew for him uh, it was a very last minute onboarding because i had a visa and they had they were short of crew and i had like no clue but i thought okay this will be a you know if i can i really like him as a person and 
I was like, if there's any way that I can help and participate in ensuring his finish, it be, uh, you know, I'll put myself there. So that's how I got introduced to Ram. Uh, sadly, uh, 2012 was, I mean, uh, I was frankly shocked at that attempt. I mean, I, I know this is sound, some people are not going to like what I say, but I was shocked at the lack of preparedness on your on his third attempt to do PVP. And I'm, I was very clear that, Ram. you know, there's no way you can do that with that. I mm. mean, the preparedness that we need for PVP RAM is like 10 times more. And so you, right. and you can't anything slip over there. You can't. Uh, and what, what factors you can control, you must control. Then you will face factors on the race, which you have no control over, but you have to be able to deal with those as well. You know, whether it's weather or something else or whatever, health or your crew and things like that. But you've got to be so strong with the things that you can control that then you have extra to be able to manage the other things. So, um, so that attempt was didn't uh, uh, you know was not successful. But for me, it was another mind blowing moment <laughs> to be there at Race Across America and see this 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 other. Uh, they kind of overlap these communities, Audax and uh, ultra cycling, and to see this going on. And I met some friends from both both places, made friends along the way also. So 2012 was when I was introduced to Ram as a crew, and then I decided that okay, uh, the what we need because now by now I was sort of working on the ecosystem in India in within cycling. I think my my focus area was long distance and ultra. Um, and so I could see what the ecosystem in India sort of needed to, to be able to fill this gap from where we were then to, uh, to be able to do successful Race Across America. And this was 2012. So in 2013, I returned to do a seminar with uh, the RAM people. Then I went back in 2013 as a crew member for uh, an American um, team I think it was and I went back year after year just to build up my uh, you know domain knowledge of that so that I could bring it back here and apply it to the events here and that's how the first RAM qualifier was uh, uh, you know created which is Pune to Goa it's called uh, the Deccan Cliffhanger and my motivation with starting the Deccan Cliffhanger was that that becomes the platform where people start to enter into this field and ensure that the quality of this event remains high so that it can create people who understand what it needs to be able to do RAM successfully. And um, this year has been like just this week. It's not even a week since uh, uh, I, I actually feel like, okay, my work is done <laughs> because we had three uh, solo uh, Indians finishing RAM in time like properly in time, no edgy stuff and things like no that. No edgy stuff at all. You know, that is that is the most heartening thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Till now, till now, although uh, Srini and Amit and Kabir, uh, Kabir have, you know, successfully finished, uh, there was always this, you know, thing okay. of, you know, nail-biting uh, <laughs> happening for all right. the dot watchers. Because it's always like, 
ah are they going to make this cut off you know <laughs> time station and all that you know i am one of those dot watchers i've been a dot watcher since the you know samim rizvi times uh, yeah. since he's actually the first attempt but right. man the to see uh, you know three of them finish yeah. comfortably yeah. and yeah. one of them has gone sub 11 days which is right. 10 days uh, and a few hours um yeah. in case of uh, you know kabir yeah. and you know all of them look like fresh and yeah. they're not dead at the end of the you know <laughs> event so that yeah. is yeah. Th- that is really heartening to see and uh, i think yeah yeah i think the work that you and others have done you know uh, to set up the races uh, that yeah. are equally challenge i mean may not be equally challenging not but equal. on that yeah. you know so that people can get a sense of how difficult they can be right uh, so i think they you know deccan cliffhanger was the start of the whole uh, you know ram qualifier uh, scene uh, with you starting that uh, which which year was this 2014 was it 2014 feb 2014 and so uh, in a few months we are going to be uh, conducting our 10th deccan cliffhanger so it's like a decade oh. years of uh, deccan amazing amazing yeah, yeah. and and so all three of these have you know started their ultra cycling or uh, ultra racing careers through deccan cliffhanger and so for yeah it, it feels good to be able to say that okay this was what i thought the ecosystem needed and this is what i did and i you know and um, and, and rec- just recognizing what was required and what was within my hands to do because ultimately i can just say okay this is like the ecosystem needed not one but hundreds of things to grow yeah. before before this could come out right so and my, my thing was like okay i can do this so i'm going to focus on that and do it well and then the community has to really come together grasp it um understand apply themselves decide whether this motivates them and then take it up from there and that that has really uh, happened um yeah. of course after deccan cliffhanger I did recognize that there needed there was like Deccan Cliffhanger 640 kilometers and right. Ram is 5000 so there needed something to bridge that gap so we have the Ultra Spice race which is a multi-day race which was also the motivation of doing that was very specifically this that it uh, trains those who are wanting to do Ram uh, to be able to do you know go through the whole crewing process for multi days like uh five to six days because you can come for dc for deccan cliffhanger and uh, crew and everybody is like okay 30 hours and then this is over so let's just you know do it but uh, the the mindset is very different if you have to do it for three days or five days or 10 days you've got to figure out how to get into a routine and apply that routine uh and then of course there's the great himalayan which we started a few years later which was because india's got this phenomenal you know geography like we're trying amazing to amazing terrain oh gosh the greatest of them all yeah yeah so that was why we set up the great himalayan now of course i've also me and so even inspire india has been handed over to uh, one of the youngsters who was part of my official team ruthvik is taken over that and uh, i'm more in advisory capacity in both these organizations now 
and uh, so in inspire india uh, at some point over the last few years we've realized that ram alone cannot be the motivation of these races these races are stand alone on their own right and uh, their their goals for achieving within india itself so uh, we've also created formats within these races which allow people to race without crew because crew is an expensive sort of a thing so we've got yeah supported formats and uh, yeah so it's like we we sort of we felt it was time that inspire india and like we have our own gold standards in india over here it's not just about the qualification so that's a right. that's a uh, that's a, also a good indication that the ecosystem has matured so much when you say okay you know these events are on their own have value <laughs> exactly exactly and like you rightly said you know it you know all of us have a, a role to play or you know in whatever capacity we can play that role towards uh, you know improving that ecosystem we we can contribute that way. and in you know you might be able to uh, contribute towards that in a big way in you know starting these races you know giving these events which is a big thing you know if if not for uh, the uh, those availability of those testing grounds as such yes. you know it is very difficult to really you know test and like you mentioned crewing becomes a huge huge uh, you know thing right in something like ram if yeah. uh, you know you, a crew may not be able to you know uh, win the race but they can definitely lose the race uh, they say right <laughs> so yeah. It, yeah so all these uh, you know events have to be there but also the community the riders have to come in embrace them and you know may utilize them and uh, build from there right yeah. so i, I mean, think even, i mean the ecosystem uh, say 10 or 12 years back also very clearly needed technical input uh, gear that was that could fulfill somebody's desire to do these events and so that was definitely not a part of my personal territory but i know that that was a requirement that had to be fulfilled and for sure that that's also evolved like crazy in the last 10 years you know right. from the basics that we used to do uh, back then to now it's uh, gone so so many people have taken up uh, like bike uh, tech you know skill development and things just out of a passion and love for it and then for sure that gets tested in the events did you really get that right did your equipment do what it was meant to do for you during the even like for example the races in uh, bbch which is uh, or anywhere else in the country also they fulfill a very clear role of creating aspiration getting us to come into it um they're they're important part of the ecosystem for sure yeah absolutely absolutely you know that's why i, I say bbch bar the you know uh, community races uh, all around the country uh, play a very uh, specific role 
and the uh, organizations like uh, Bangalore Braves, uh, Indian Randonnais, and all these play a very, very important role in the growth of the whole community. So does, uh, you know, events from uh, Inspire India. And, uh, you know, now uh, Amit has started something, uh, you know, with Race Across India and all these. So all these kind of put together in form serve although all of them serve different purposes but you know all of them contribute in in a very specific area and con- yeah. and contribute really really well uh, without without uh, any of them it is the the whole thing is not it it is it is not whole so to speak right yeah 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 so um, like you said the availability of gear the you know in terms of the what was available back in 2008 and 9 uh, to compare to now it's like yeah. so so much different right yeah. excellent yeah. excellent so um now uh, where how where do you uh, how do you uh, you know see the ultra cycling uh, evolving from the first time uh, you organized uh, uh, a race Deccan cliffhanger to now. Uh, we talked about it uh, a, a bit, uh, you know, uh, just now when uh, talking about how we just comp- had three uh, Indians uh, finishing ramp. Uh, but in general, uh, how, how did it evolve over the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so? Uh, so one of the things that uh, in the initial first couple of events was to recognize that not uh, like uh, that the number of people who will consider themselves to be capable of doing the race is very few, and then recognizing this requirement of having a crew support you, and then the crew training. Uh, is another big challenge for people to understand what it takes to build this kind of a team that will support you through this. Um, And that required for this spark of imagination to go out into more people than just the ones who are on the bike. So we did a lot of uh, crew training, uh, one-on-one seminars for the first three or four years of Second Cliffhanger. Uh, I used to go from city to city also talking to the racers and their crew and you know, talking about the importance of having uh, your crew trained to serve you, etc. Um, so the numbers have stayed uh, low for the first two, three years of every race uh, because uh, Ultra uh, ultra Spice, for example, being a five-day race takes a big commitment of time also from the people. But now I think that we've introduced a self-supported version as well and you don't need to bring a team of people because we recognize that Ultra Spice is never going to have big numbers if we keep it only for crew. So the right. self-support option is uh, right, especially with so many randonneurs doing those kind of distances. Uh, this is something, uh, and the route is so special. And um, that can be a good thing for uh, you know, good uh, training uh, thing for uh, PBP, LEL kind of self-supported oh, yes. events, right? Oh yes, yeah. oh yes, for sure. Mm. And we've had some of the. PBP and LEL finishers come and do uh, these races and be able to compare and uh, you know. Um, so uh, Deccan Cliffhanger after the third or the fourth uh, event started to see a big 
uh, leap in numbers because it's e- easier to access. It starts from right. Pune. We have a big pool of people around here itself who can come. And plus, Deccan Cliffhanger sees people from all around the country, like from the south to the northeast, the north. Um, uh, and then Ultra Spice has a lesser number because it is a much bigger challenge. And then the Great Himalayan also. Um, one thing that at Inspire India, me and my team of officials and even the person who I've handed over to, Ruthvik, and the same goes for Raghu, who's taken over Audax India, is that we're very sort of particular or very strict about the rules. And we're mm-hmm. very, you know, because it's hard to sort of maintain quality in India, to establish any product or service that gives quality in general. It's 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 not easy for somebody who says, I'm going to, you know, ensure that the quality control is there. So that's been one of the biggest challenges to ensure that even if we look bad, even if somebody does not like that we are dismissing them from the race, we our stand is very clear that there's zero tolerance for any kind of cheating, any kind of this thing, and even on safety issues. So that's been one of the biggest challenges. But now I see that uh, in the in the first couple of years, even with Audax and with Inspire India, uh, we got a lot more criticism from within the community when we uh, banned people or we, uh, you know, disqualified them for cheating and things like that. The community would complain, say, no, let them go, this, that. And we're like, this, you know, you can't be saying this, right? But now I think that the community has matured enough to understand why it's really important that everyone who participates is engaged with keeping it clean and with keeping it because it reflects on them as well. It reflects right. as much on them as on the people. So we, we still do get people attempting to cheat, but now we get a lot more people who are very clear that they want to keep it out. Uh, I, I I don't know if you, you must have heard of the Vivek Shah Winger case a uh, couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> was... Yeah. So, so I had been now, observing... Now the, now the cycling community looks at Winger in a very different light. <laughs> <laughs> memes were funny. Memes right. Were funny. But yeah. So there were a few of us in the community which who had been observing and who knew there was something wrong. We had made complaints officially also to organizers. I had my suspicions. So there were a bunch of us who were keeping an eye and knew that there was something really off with this. And then we sort of came together while this was going on and said, you know, it's not even our event, like, but we need to clean this out, whatever effort it takes from us. So yeah, Because it, because it, uh, like you said, it reflects on the entire ultra community, right? It le- reflects very poorly on the ultra community. You know, if uh, someone is doing this and getting away, what is the kind of credibility rest of the community has? You know, y- anyone who would complete a you know really commendable feat also would be looked at with suspicion. That is exactly. really, really yeah. bad. Yeah. 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 So that's been one of the challenges during the evolution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. So where do you see the, um, you know, cycling in general and especially the ultra cycling scene uh, in India going from here? Um, 
Yeah, I just I hope I mean I think that it's kind of it's going to grow um now especially with what we just saw last week which was three Indians crossing the finish line. I have a feeling that ultra cycling is just going to, you know, uh, and hopefully not grow in an exponential in the terms of numbers, but in a way in which is directed towards ensuring performances quality over quantity. Right. And there's uh, not just uh, the supported, crew supported races. There's also Trans Am and there's um, uh, the one in Europe. Uh, I think we have a couple of Indians going for that. And Sundaram North actually, uh, Sundaram Narayan have, from Goa has completed Trans Am uh, in 25 really? days. Yeah, oh, he wow. just uh, okay. just yesterday he completed that. So, oh, yes. Okay, okay. I, I, I remember it before Ram, I did. Uh, see that he was starting and then I forgot with the dot watching of him. I should check on yeah, that. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, he, he completed that. It was really yeah. good to see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've got a couple more lined up to go for some of the events in the next few months. So, hmm. so yeah, we were talking about uh, all these, uh, the future uh, of ultras, all these events. Like, what you're saying is true right now also we see you know people uh you know instead of uh, racing for the cutoffs they're you know actually moving towards uh you know racing with the other competition right uh, for the so podium. that is right. that, that that is really really good to see and uh, i hope uh, you know the trend continues uh because it is a really really hard sport you know, yeah, the the, yeah. the kind of resources, the kind of mindset, and the abilities that are required is not really easy. You know, I I uh, I I think uh, often think I chose a really you know easy um, sport in the sense of you know ra- just racing short races and you know be getting over with, getting my sleep, getting my comfort, <laughs> and not worrying about sleepless nights and all that. Yeah, but uh, I think that was what fascinated me about ultra cycling that you put yourself out into so much extra discomfort in every single aspect. It's like <laughs> so willingly putting yourself through so much uh, discomfort that right. it is, uh, you know, it kind of boggles my mind. But, uh, you know, it really requires uh, uh, that kind of mindset, a completely different kind of mindset. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I think what what what's wonderful is that, and I've been at the finish lines of these events in uh, race across America, and even in Europe, I've done a race around Austria and Europe, and uh, all almost twenty of the Inspire India events and a few others. It's um, that it's that moment after they finish, and there's a huge catharsis. There's an enormous, um, you know, you it. I, I find it fascinating, even at Ram, at sometimes at the finish line, when I see people crossing or finally finishing, and I'm like, this is, it's a sort of in some ways like a pinnacle of, uh, you know, human abilities. You're you're pushing yourself to see whether you can do that. It's something like what drives mountaineers to, you know, put themselves into great deal of discomfort and risk and everything to yeah. go ahead and perform something, do something. 
And then when they actually get past that, whether it's Deccan Cliffhanger, which is, uh, you know, the, the stepping stone, sort of the beginning point of this. And, right. uh, and then you see, you see the release of emotions, you see how people have transformed and changed and gone through it. So I find that part of it really fascinating. <laughs> it is, it is. The kind, the sense of achievement after putting yourself through so much and the kind of relief uh, that it is over, finally you are able to, yeah. you know, yeah. get across yeah. that finish line must be really, really uh, amazing. Uh, yeah. This is uh, this has been a fantastic uh, chat, uh, Divya. Uh, we uh, it was really a pleasure talking to you and you know talking about the ultra cycling scene uh, extensively. Uh, thank you for uh, taking the time. Any parting uh, advice for uh, ultra cyclists uh, all across this India? Ah no, just go out and ride and you know. Train hard, train harder, enjoy yourself. <laughs> that's pretty much all it takes, actually. What I loved about, that's what I loved about how Kabir crossed the finish line in this Garfield shirt and the flip-flop. <laughs> you know, I mean, he just really looked like he had so much fun and the crew was beaming. And so it's really that. I mean, I think if you, if you, if you approach it that way, you can really, you know, do it without, to making it painful for yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys have become, uh, uh, you know, uh, wonderful ambassadors for the sport, for sure. Oh, yes, yeah, it's great to yeah. see. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again, uh, Divya. Thank you for taking the time and spending Thank your... Thank you so much. Thank you so much yeah. for having me on the show. That was my conversation with Divya. I hope you enjoyed that. If you are enjoying these podcasts and finding them useful, please consider supporting the podcast by subscribing to it on YouTube as well as on your favorite podcasting app. It really helps. Also, supporting the sponsors of the podcast is a great way to support the podcast itself. This episode is brought to you by thebikeaffair.com. Thanks again for your continuous support. See you next week with another guest.